Well, good morning, ladies. It's so great to have you here. And um, everybody was saying how hard sometimes it is to jump into a new routine. But thank you for making the effort and um, for spending time with God's Word and with each other. And I pray that the Lord has something uh, really rich for each of us. Um, so I would also like to offer us a prayer. Holy Spirit, you have authored this text that we are studying this morning. And we ask for your help to interpret and apply it. Show us more of our Lord Jesus. Show us more of the glorious things you have planned. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our illuminator, our counselor, our comforter, and our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, if you're new to the Bible study this semester, we are kind of in the middle of Isaiah. We've tackled the whole book of Isaiah, which has been such a treat for me. I've never had a chance to study Isaiah this in-depth myself and um, have really been enjoying it. Um, And we definitely had a lot to work on with four chapters as we started off, but I um, am excited for, for what's in there for us. So the theme of our section today was about trusting the Lord. And we're in Isaiah 31 through 35. If you want, if you do have your Bibles and want to open them, feel free. Um, and so Isaiah in these chapters um, alternates with proclaiming a woe about a particular person or situation um, or people, and then elaborating on the trustworthiness of the Lord and his future plans, and also the beauty of God's redemption that is to come. Um, and so the context is the people of Judah continue to live under the constant threat of Assyrian invasion. And they've tried to do everything they can to um, shake off this invader, except pretty much for seeking the Lord and what he would have them do. And so instead of seeking the Lord and his counsel about the situation, the leaders of Judah turn to a political alliance with Egypt for their refuge. And so our passage in Isaiah chapter 31 opens with that today about what the Lord says about this action. So I'll I'll read verses 1 through 3. If you want to follow along, starting in chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against that wicked nation against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble. Those who are helped will fall. All will perish together. And so this misplaced trust that they have in Egypt is contrasted then in verse 5 with what the Lord will do. In verse 5 it says, Like birds hovering overhead... The Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and rescue it. Um, And then I'm going to kind of summarize a little bit as we go so you have a kind of a sense of the big picture of what's happening. Um, So then Isaiah describes how Assyria will fall by a sword not made of man. If God holds a whole world in his hand, he can defeat a mighty army if he so chooses. And then Isaiah looks even further ahead, as he does multiple times, to the the fullness of Christ's coming kingdom, where only the rule of righteousness will exist. And as in the case of what we read in Isaiah so far, all of this prophetic material is fulfilled in part during this era of Judah's life, where they're having these invasions, 
and they're going to be taken off to exile. Um, and so these things are fulfilled in part. And then they're fulfilled even more um, in a greater measure when Christ's first coming. But then their fullness will come when Christ comes again. And so some of these things we're going to say, this hasn't happened yet. That's because we have it to um, look forward to when our Lord Jesus returns. Um, so go ahead now and jump to chapter 32, verse 9. Here, Isaiah addresses the complacent women of Jerusalem. Kind of like other folks, they've just been ignoring Isaiah. This crazy man is speaking craziness, and we'd just rather go on with our lives. Um, so currently, their lot seems really secure, with no need to seek the Lord. But Isaiah warns of a coming harvest failure and a famine where briars will overtake the vineyards. And so Isaiah calls the women to rise up and see this reality that is coming soon to their nation within the next two years and to, to mourn and to be troubled by this. And he has a number of actions that he wishes they would take. But these women assume that the ease they currently enjoyed was going to continue uninterrupted. And so they pay him no heed, even though he challenges them to listen, to tremble, and to be troubled by this crisis. And so disaster does eventually come, as Isaiah had spoken to Judah, and disaster still befalls all the nations of the earth. But thankfully, disaster will not be forever, because then Isaiah again points to a glorious future beyond imagining. He talks about when the scarcity will be reversed, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the land and its people. And so we know that this was fulfilled in part when we have the book of Acts, but there'll be even a greater measure of the Spirit's outpouring um, as we prepare for the age to come. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon the land and its people so that there will be unprecedented physical abundance um, as the desert becomes a rich and fertile field and also a spiritual abundance where righteousness and peace will rule and they won't have to live in fear or scarcity anymore. So we think about all the troubling disasters around our world and we think, wow, that's going to be amazing when everybody can live in peace and righteousness um, and have fear no more. And so then Isaiah continues with this majestic description in 32 verses 15 through 18 about the spirit being poured out. The spirit is poured out on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. What a glorious future that is when nobody needs to worry about their home being hurt or taken from them or not having a place to be. And so when the Lord's rule is fully accomplished, insecurity will be replaced by a deep security that will never be shaken. And then next in Isaiah 33, verse 1, so you can go ahead and jump to Isaiah 33. Isaiah declares another one of his woes. And this time it's to the destroyer, which is likely the nation of Assyria. And this is a sober warning to Assyria for the treachery they committed. But of course, they don't really care what Isaiah is saying or pay attention to the Lord. Um, but still, God's going to speak to them. King Hezekiah, which is one of the main kings of Judah during this time, um, not only did they go and make a political covenant with Egypt um, against the Lord's council, they go and do so with Assyria as well. Um, and so he goes and makes this covenant with the Assyrian king Sennacherib, 
that requires Judah to pay much gold and silver as a tribute to Assyria um, to kind of pay him off. And so this fuller story can be found in 2 Kings 18, verses 14 through 17. I'm just going to read a part of that so we can see the bigger context. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, Elisish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. Even so, then the king of Assyria sent a great army against Jerusalem. So today, this 1,300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold is worth almost $50 million. So imagine a small nation about the size of New Jersey spending $50 million as a buy-off for a threatening bully country. And then the country just invades anyways. Um, So that's the kind of devastation that they're facing. Both Judah and Assyria did wrong in the sight of the Lord. Judah let their fear capture their hearts instead of the Lord's capacity and ability to to help them. So Assyria Assyria dealt treacherously with God's chosen people, and they're going to be called to account. This nation of Assyria who destroyed and betrayed others will themselves be destroyed because the Lord is not going to endure this evil forever. Instead of trickery, deceit, and intimidation that Assyria embodied, Isaiah offers a humble prayer in 33, verse 2. And that's our scripture card this morning. He says, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. And that's just such a great prayer. And this verse portrays the kind of attitude that the Lord was seeking all along. If they had just come to him with this kind of an attitude at the beginning, they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble. Just a simple expression of a desire for God's presence and to do things his way. And so eventually all of the earth will reflect the design of the Lord. The Lord promises that this consummation of his coming kingdom will happen. And even though evil appears to be winning, the Lord's return to rule as righteous king is sure. And so then you go on a couple of verses and you see that our Messiah Jesus is the unshakable foundation and a limitless treasure. And while we wait for the fullness of this promise to come to pass, we can respond as individuals and as a community to his leadership with obedience um, and trust. When we find ourselves in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can keep the Lord in his rightful place in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and community. And so this is what um, chapter 33, verses 5 and 6 describe. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Isaiah proclaims this day when the countries who have tormented Judah will be judged, as will all life. The one who is a consuming fire will lay all things bare. Only righteousness and love and truth will pass through this refining fire of the Lord. And so as we come to Isaiah 33, verses 15 through 16, 
Isaiah describes what will truly last in the Lord's economy. He says, those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. Their eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. That's so beautiful. When the Lord comes to make things right, we will never need to fear arrogant or evil leaders again. As much as sometimes we're disturbed by things going on in our own nation, there's countries that don't even know how their voting is going to turn out or whether that's going to be done in fairness or righteousness or their leaders hide money and don't feed and care for the needs of the people. And so what an amazing thing it is when all of the people will be cared for in righteousness and truth. Because the Lord, as the scripture says, will be the righteous judge, the lawgiver, and the king. And this is what all of us and humankind have so desperately longed for, is for this kind of rule that is actually truthful, it's in love, and righteousness, and it's done for the good of the people. And so then the other final promise we see for Zion and for um, all of redeemed humankind is that the effects of sin will be done away. Disease will be healed. Scarcity and toil replaced with abundance and gladness. And all of creation will have regained its original purpose that God intended. Yet to arrive at this final consummation, there will be a great judgment. And this brings us to chapter 34. Here we read that not only will the Lord judge Assyria and Egypt for their misdeeds, but the Lord will call all nations and all peoples to account. In chapter 34, Edom is given as an example of those who have opposed the Lord and his ways. Isaiah 34 and 35 should really be read as one passage. Um, If you made it through it, Isaiah 34 is one of the most um, challenging and negative chapters in the whole of the Bible. But then as you come upon Isaiah 35, it's one of the most incredible and positive chapters in all of um, scripture as it crescendos with God's people seeing God's glory with their own eyes and being filled with eternal gladness. It gives insight into God's plan, his personality, and his leadership. And so these chapters help us to learn that God's end-of-the-age judgments are about removing everything that hinders love to completely get rid of unrighteousness. Our Lord intervenes in judgment because he is zealous to fill the whole earth with love, humility, and righteousness. And sometimes it's hard for us who live in reasonable security um, and peace to comprehend this graphic bloodshed that is found in Isaiah 34. And that language can be offensive to our modern ears, but it's likely that it was quite comforting to its first hearers. They lived in an age in which they watched wicked armies destroy their homes, so just burn them down, and then slaughter their families before their eyes. And so they had this deep desire for justice, um, this deep inner cry for justice against their oppressors. And they couldn't accomplish this justice on their own, and nor should they try or were they called to do so. Instead, they had to take God at his word when he said that vengeance is mine. And the Apostle Paul reminds us again of this truth in Romans twelve nine. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
And God's work is thorough. All evil, all iniquity, and all that opposes him will be dealt with swiftly and completely. As our Lord Jesus is zealous to remove wickedness from the earth and to instead establish a community filled with joy and everlasting gladness. And the greatest desire of the redeemed is to see and encounter the glory of the Lord. And so Isaiah 35 is about this open manifestation of God's glory and the restoration of his people and the land. The joy of the redeemed in 35 opens with the transformation of nature. And that's just the beginning. Weakness and fear will be replaced with strength. Our bodies will be made whole and healthy. Our longings will be satisfied. And all the obstacles to encountering the Lord will be completely removed. You're never going to have a dry, quiet time again. (laughs) And all sadness and sorrow will be completely gone. And that's almost incomprehensible to us. Instead of sighing, everlasting joy will be, will crown our heads to think that you're never sad or depressed or lonely again. And so as we seek to discern how these chapters should shape our current time and place and lives, um, I offer an anecdote from my own life. In our household, we've had many discussions about heaven in recent weeks. Just a couple days ago, my five-year-old daughter started listing what she wanted to bring to the age to come. On her priority list were the kinds of things a five-year-old girl cherishes. She asked me in great earnestness, why can't I bring my Hello Kitty airplane, my unicorn purse, my JoJo bow, and my rainbow keychain to heaven? I told her cheerfully that while all those things were great, Jesus is planning something even better. (laughs) Better than a unicorn purse? (laughs) She responds with great unbelief. Her mind can't stretch to hold these grander realities than a sparkling pink unicorn purse. But I assure her again that Jesus is up to something even better than a unicorn purse. And then she asks, can't I at least bring a book and a doll? I don't want to get bored. (laughs) In this exchange, I was reminded again of the famous quote of C.S. Lewis on the topic of human passion. I've I've read this so many times, but I think it's apt here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. At least generally, and not all the time, Lily prefers sparkly pink unicorn purses to mud pies, but the idea is the same. Even in our adulthood, we are far too easily pleased, and we fail to live in light of eternity. Our vision of life with Jesus is so small and so dull that we don't let it overflow into our choices now. We put our trust and happiness into realities that we can control and that we can construct And that maybe lasts for five or ten years or six weeks at the best. We ignore Jesus' plea to store up treasure in heaven as we accumulate treasure here on earth that will not last. Well, thankfully, I don't think we're handing over our financial reserves and communion plates to try to win protection from a dreadful bully. But like Judah, we can struggle when it comes to trusting God. We can struggle when it comes to trusting his provision, his timeline, his methods, and the ultimate outcome. It's easier just to want to take matters into our own hands. 
And it's hard in a world of injustice to envision a day when all of that is gone and only righteousness and love can be found. Yet that is what the Lord promises and so much more. And so as we watch and pray for Jesus' coming kingdom, it's so important that we embrace his narrative for our lives, recognizing that it's a beautiful one. And that our most important goal for each day is to embrace the truth about the glory of a beautiful God that we can't even comprehend has a beautiful plan for each of our lives. And in his power, he will impart incorruptible beauty into our lives that will last forever. The enemy always wants to shift our life into that negative narrative of how bad we're treated, how hard things are, what we don't have, how we fail, and that our life is worthless. But instead, we need to say no to that narrative and instead to entrust our lives, our heart and our world to Jesus. As he invites us to pray along with Isaiah, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning and our salvation.